Hello and welcome to Hardcover Hoes, a long-distance book club where two book lovers express their feelings on their book of the moment via podcast. I am one half of your host, Sam Cabrera-Dixon, and today, this is actually Hardcover Ho? It's just me today. Um, to, but normally, Sammy, Scorstad, and I uh, usually comb through book talk, combined our to-be-read lists... And now we intend to make our way through them one book at a time. We'd love for you to come along with us and join the discussion. The book of the moment for today. I never read this part. This feels so strange. But the book of the moment for today's episode is actually two books. It is the Celestial Kingdoms duology. It is The Daughter of the Moon Goddess and the Heart of the Sun Warrior by Sue Lin Tan. I... I'm having technical difficulties today, so I'm going to be actually reading the uh, author bio from Truly, the back of the book. Um, Sue Lin Tan writes stories inspired by the myths and legends she fell in love with as a child. Born in Malaysia, she studied in London and France before settling in Hong Kong with her family. When not writing or reading, she enjoys exploring the hills and reservoirs, the temples, beaches, and narrow, winding streets. She's also grateful to be to always be within reach of bubble tea and spicy food, which she unfortunately cannot cook, which is very funny to me. And um, the bubble tea part, very relatable. I love me a good bubble tea. Um, so before we before I jump into discussing my feelings, my thoughts and feelings regarding this duology. I'm going to go ahead and read through the blurb on the back of book one. Um, Growing up on the moon, Jingyin is accustomed to solitude, unaware that she is being hidden from the feared celestial emperor who exiled her mother for stealing the elixir of immortality. But when Jingyin's magic flares and her existence is discovered, she is forced to flee her home, leaving her mother behind. Alone, powerless, and afraid, she makes her way to the Celestial Kingdom, a land of wonder and secrets. Disguising her identity, she seizes an opportunity to train alongside the Emperor's son. Mastering archery and magic, even as passion flames between her and the prince. To save her mother, Zinyan embarks on a perilous quest, confronting legendary creatures and vicious enemies. However, with treachery... When treachery looms and forbidden magic threatens the kingdom, she must challenge the ruthless celestial emperor for her dream, striking a dangerous bargain in which she is torn between losing all she loves and plunging the realm into chaos. Daughter of the Moon Goddess begins an enchanting romantic duology that weaves ancient Chinese mythology into a sweeping adventure of immortals and magic, of loss and sacrifice, where love vies with honor, dreams are fraught with betrayal, and hope emerges triumphant. First of all, that's one of the best blurbs I think I've read in a very long time. Um, I'm going to do some trigger warnings off the top of my head. Uh, There's a lot of war in these books. Um, There is some unwanted, um, I wouldn't say sexual advances, but at least unwanted touching, unwanted like um, manipulation for sure, backstabbing, death of a parent. Um, If I think of more, it's very gory. If I think of more, I will, (laughs) I'll bring it up. Um... Without any further ado, let's get into it. I read these because one of my friends really likes them. Uh, And they have some of the most gorgeous covers I have seen 
in any duology in a long time. I've also just been craving a duology. I feel like there's been so many, you know, beautifully books with beautiful covers that look like a standalone and then they've turned out to be like, haha, now you're getting sucked into a trilogy. Now you're getting sucked into, you know, actually an 11 page series and you thought it was just going to be one standalone. So it was really refreshing to just read a duology. Like you knew it was going to be a duology. You're going into it knowing it's a duology. You know that there's going to be a resolve at the end of two books. Um, that's That was really satisfying. I feel like I haven't, I haven't had a nice duology like that in a long time, especially a high fantasy duology such as this um, that really checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, I can't remember if I actually said that I'll be spoiling, talking about the whole book and all of its glory, which of course includes revealing the ending. Um, but I will be. So, uh, it took me a couple weeks to finish these, I feel. I think, um, one of the reasons is because obviously Sammy's not here for this episode. I was trying to find someone to guest with me for this week's episode, but... I could not in time, so I decided, you know what, why why not just do a little little solo episode um, and talk to myself as if I don't do that all the time anyways. So, I kind of had like less of a time restraint for this because I could record it whenever I was had a little bit of free time to do so. Um, so, I really took my time, I feel, with the first book. Uh, you know, obviously there's world building, there's learning uh, the names of a billion people, <laughs> um, and there's trying to make sense of a new magic system, and all the factors that go into starting and reading any fantasy book that you're just jumping into uh, for the first time. So I was like, okay, we are on the moon. We're starting on the moon. Jingyin is, you know, living there with her mom and Pinga. And you're kind of like, okay, so she lights the moon, the moon. Okay, she's the moon goddess. We got you. Um, and I really liked how we saw from such a young age, right? Jingyin is very capable. And when we move through and we see, you know, Pinga tries to take her away because they feel like the celestial emperor and empress have some kind of idea that there is someone else being hidden up there. And you're like, okay, her mom is not actually like there on her own free will. It, she, it's an imprisonment kind of thing. It's very interesting to be like, what is going on <laughs> so early on? I really liked the way that this book started because it kind of throws you into, okay, here's a little bit of context. And then immediately Jingyun is thrown down to where the immortals live in the celestial kingdom and she's a maid and she's going through all these like struggles that she's never experienced before. Um, and of course that's how she meets Leeway. And I, listen, I too love a charming little prince, okay, in especially in these kinds of fantasy novels and he's so charming and he's so sweet I think um had had Sammy read these she would definitely probably have not been team leeway um I was team leeway until I realized there was another team to potentially be on which of course is team Winchy. I am a 
<laughs> I am so weak for the brooding meanie kind of guy, I guess, in these books. As as is always. I like them when they're a little you know, they're just they're, Leeway was too polished. Leeway was too Perfect. He was the, you know, he's the golden boy. And uh, although, you know, to his parents, who he defies a lot through both books, but he's, he's like the golden boy. He's so sweet. He's so kind. He would do anything for Zingin. And I think, uh, it was too, I don't know. It was, it was a little too, he's too nice for me, perhaps. Um, and perhaps had there not been another love interest involved, I would have loved Leeway with my whole heart and soul the whole way through the the whole duology. However, however, you know, he has to say yes to his engagement. And I understand, like, I know that Jingyun took that really personally, but I mean, it, it was kind of like, what what did you think was going to happen? You know, at least on from my perspective, because... Yeah, he, he has a duty to uphold. So I, I didn't hold that uh, leeway agreeing to marry Princess something. I don't remember what her name was. Um, I don't, I, I didn't hold that against him because I kind of understood it. I do, of course, understand <laughs> where Jingyun was coming from with her emotions. Uh, which, yeah, that, that fucking sucked. But it does open it up for us to meet Wenxie and... Let me tell you, the relief I felt upon meeting him was like, okay, because I, I was going to like the story regardless, even if it was going to be perfect pretty boy leeway throughout, correct? But man, I do, maybe it's the like, I read Twilight and books like that too early on. I love a love triangle, man. I, there's something about two, you know, both maybe not equally as amazing guys, but amazing in their own ways guys vying for the heart of one girl who doesn't even necessarily feel like she doesn't need someone to complete her Jingin doesn't need anybody but herself but one of the things she learns throughout the two books is like the value that love has love is not this burden that only causes pain which is what a lot of the other characters and enemies throughout the books are kind of trying to say so I I loved that we got, like, this little bit of tension. We get to watch Jingin, like, come into herself, obviously, and then also learn that, you know, with all of the things that are changing within herself, her new ways of magic that she's learning, and, you know, when she finds the uh, Jade Dragon Bow with Wenxia at that one, after killing that one monster, um... You're, you're seeing there's a lot more there. We know, and we know, like, little bits and pieces of her parents' story. But one of the other things I think is a common theme throughout these books is, like, the idea of, of course, when stories are told, these people sound very particular, right? And so, you know, the celestial emperor and empress are pissed off because Jingyin's dad was the sun warrior or whatever and he killed the he killed the sunbirds and so you're getting these like little parent lore pieces throughout the book uh where you're kind of like okay this dragon bow the jade dragon dragon jade dragon bow must have something to do with her dad like this is not at all a coincidence 
and when she knows that as well um which at the time we don't know that when she is going to betray us and betray everyone uh which of course was upsetting i didn't want that to happen i also didn't really see it coming um obviously like when the princess that leeway was engaged to is like kidnapped um and you know Zingin goes to rescue her and Leeway, and she sees an archer who's, like, masked, but she can see his gray eyes, and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, at first, I was like, is it her dad, and he's alive, but then it was like, nope, it was just Winsha, and he was trying to let her escape and things of the sort. Um, I thought it was a really good first book. Like, The Daughter of the Moon Goddess is a very good first book especially in a duology it got it gave everything in a way that was really palatable it wasn't like too much world building you know there's some books that I've read in the past fantasy wise which just like reading the world building first like 200 pages is just too much this was not too much at all I think it was constantly intriguing I think I was pretty invested and there wasn't a lot of like, here is this magic system that makes zero sense, right? It, it was very, I don't know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> you can agree with me, listener. Um, but it was very much a, a, a very well-rounded introduction to the story. And you do get bits and pieces that are going to co- come into play in the second book, right? After when she betrays Xingyun, I was so sad. I was also angry, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'm team leeway by default, because, of course, when she had to become an asshole, and, you know, we didn't want any of this to happen, so, of course, it will happen. Um, And you kind of get to see Xingyun feel like she's falling back in love with leeway after the end of the first book. Um, and I felt like the first book could have ended where it did, and like that also very well could have been a standalone. Um, I'm, I'm very glad though for the second book because I thought the second book was a masterpiece. Before we move on to discuss the rest of the Celestial Kingdoms duology, let's listen to a quick word about the brand sponsoring today's episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's continue the conversation. So the second book. The second book is a masterpiece. Um, I quite literally started this two days ago, and I've just not been able to put it down. Every time I've read it, I've read it. <laughs> I've read so much of it in a sitting. Um, it was so good. We, you know, we get the return of Wensha. We get, like, the resolve of the last book, right, which was that... Um, you know, uh, Xingyun gets that, gets the favor, gets a pardoning favor kind of from the emperor and requests that her mother be freed from her sentence. Um, and so we get to see Xingyun go home and see her mom, see the moon goddess, see the moon, see Pinga, you know, see all these things. 
Um, so when the second book starts and you're like, oh, who are these strangers and why are they letting strangers stay with them on the moon? I'm already sass of everybody, right? Like there's too, there's too much on the line here, I feel, to get to this, you know, point of freedom for them to just be letting people in. And I understand there was like a desire to, you know, not step on anybody else's toes or, you know, maybe somebody was sent from the Celestial Emperor, which turned out to be true, but not in the way that I'm trying to say right now, <laughs> you know. Um, and so we get this introduction of our next threat, which is Wugong, who comes in and he's pretending to be someone he's not. And really, he is the like general under the Celestial Empress. And... I was fuming. I was fuming. I also felt like this part was perhaps a little bit too fast because I was like, I don't know any of these people yet. You know, things are moving a little too a little too quickly for me at this point. But I think it did provide a good way to catapult into what was going to be happening uh, in the rest of the book. Um, so, OK, we've got our new we've got our new villain. We know that Wensha has kept coming around and that Yin has been speaking to him and is not like trying to kill him and he's not trying to kill her so I, I you start to feel that they're mending their relationship even though it's been rather tumultuous the last <laughs> the last little bit um but you also know that leeway is actively visiting the moon and you know that he intends at least in his mind right to marry Zingin and it's hard because you know I want her to be happy and I do happen to like both of her boys I think they would be okay and I think it's really hard because she didn't even necessarily want either of them is at least what she tells herself like she feels like she wants leeway but, and she knows she's mad at Wensha, but there's something inside her that's also like, I would be okay without either of them, um, which I think we don't, we're not seeing this as much lately, or maybe we are in newer fantasy where, you know, the female main character's okay on her own. She doesn't need some man necessarily, like, so I, I was I was really content with the fact that we could just keep going like bouncing back and forth between the boys and see see what happens if anything. Um, so moving into talking about I'm gonna kind of like skip until at least halfway through the book, but when all the shit starts hitting the fan, right? Like Jingin kind of pairs up with the Empress uh, to help Li Wei. And there's this whole, like, oh, there's an elixir, and Tao's gonna help get the elixir, and that was before, and now she's mad, and so she's like, okay, I want Tao too, you know. And there's the reveal that the the girl, I cannot remember her name, but Tao's friend, question mark, um, is actually Li Wei's half-sister, which was crazy, because she was mentioned, um, albeit briefly, in the first book, in, like, the photos he had, like, painted of her when they were children, um, and so we get this, like, idea that, oh, there is an elixir, she's, uh, Jingyin is given the elixir, and she's able to give it to her father, and then she's able to bring her father to meet her mother while they're in the ocean prison. I cannot remember where they were, but they were in, like, a sea prison. Um, and there's this moment of even, like, Jingyin knowing, I'm gonna give my parents some time. Like, they need time. 
to, you know, it's been 50 years and they get this reconciliation that I think is so special because, again, in a lot of fantasy novels lately there's always the like at least one parent is dead trope and I know that that was a trope for the whole like first book but he's alive and so I really liked that we got to see like there is no mystery about who her family is and why she is the way she is because she is the daughter of the moon goddess and the sun warrior right she is one a badass but she knows who she is from the beginning it's not a mystery and she now gets to see, she gets like a semblance of real life, like what life would have been like had their lives not been touched with tragedy at such a young age. So it's kind of like a second chance. And I really, I really appreciated that because we don't see that that often, I feel, in in these fantasy novels these days. Um, so anyway, so we, we know that... Uh, Wugong shows up with his new army that is um, reminiscent of like the stone soldiers, um, which I always were was fascinated with. I don't know why I said fascinated like that. I was always fascinated with that when I was a kid watching like the Discovery Channel. I was also a huge National Geographic girly growing up, like literally had probably over 200 copies and I had like a National Geographic wall in my room anyway (laughs) so I was like oh that's a really cool call especially because Wugong's like oh yeah this is a thing that happens in the mortal like a mortal king uh constructed these stone warriors to like defend him in his tomb and things like that and so he that's where he kind of stole that inspiration from to create these I mean, I know they're not stone, they're from the dead, but to create these soldiers that have no feeling, that have are void of emotion like stone, essentially. Um, which I thought was a cool, cool way to incorporate some history in there. Um, and we see this, obviously we see whatever the young prince's name was die, which was really sad. We see the dragons come back and we get to see her dad have this moment with the dragons where they're like, oh shit, it's the sun warrior. You know, you saved us. You're still good in our books. You know, if you call, we will come kind of vibes, which I thought was really cool. And we get, we see like, okay, there's a lot on the line here now. Now we know, you know, Wugong's not fucking around. He's he's here to to hurt people. Um and he even after his death will be reaping, you know, destruction on everyone. So there's a lot on the line. And then also at the same time because it's a romance as well. We have this emotional like war going on in Jingyin's own heart. You know? She's like am I leaning towards Liwei? I think I am and I don't know, but then also every single day, Wencha is getting closer and closer to, you know, bringing himself back into her heart with open arms, uh, even though she's very much thinking that her arms are not at all open and that they are, in fact, crossed, which I think is very cute. I love groveling, and I think that Wencha had, like, the perfect amount of groveling and, like, vowing to her things and things like that to regain her trust throughout the book which I really loved I thought that was a nice touch um and I think it becomes obvious to the reader that she does 
you know, she loves the boys and she claims that she loves them both equally, but you can see that she has a, a special kind of bias towards Wincha. And I think that that makes the love that the reader is able to have for him, you know, like return easier because obviously I was really mad when he betrayed her in the first book. So I felt like not only was he groveling to her, he was groveling to me, which, you know, is, uh, that's how it should work. Um, the girls gotta agree. Okay. Um, but I was really like, okay, okay, I'm letting him back in. I like him again. You know, I can love him again. I can appreciate the things he's saying. And I believe him, I think, was also at the top of that. Is that, you know, Leeway obviously didn't. He he was kind of under the assumption that Wensho would do something again to betray everyone. Um, and I think that that's even maybe part of the reason why I believed Wensho more. Because... I think it was becoming almost a defense thing for Leeway to just keep falling back on the fact that he could blame Wensha for things. Um, but anyways, I, I, I digress. But so moving forward, um, I think I just finished the book a few moments ago before I hit record because I wanted it to be fresh in my mind. And I think we need to start talking about like the last 100 pages because... Jinyin deciding to basically sacrifice herself by making herself, like, disguise herself as her mom because that's who Wugang needed for the laurel tree, uh, needed her tears for the laurel tree. I, you know, I was in so much, like, awe of her because obviously we know she's going to do something like this. Like, she's going to have her big hero moment. But she was fully ready to be a martyr. Um... And I loved that, you know, she asked her dad, despite not knowing him that well, but she in her last, like, few moments before leaving, she asked her dad, like, on the day that you, you know, fought the sunbirds, did you feel something like this? And he was like, it was either the sunbirds or it was the whole rest of the world and you and your mother. And, you know, I had to make that decision and I did. Um, and so I think this really sol solidifies Zhengyin's resolve. And I think it was really, I don't know, it was really, like, touching, I think, also. And such a, uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to mention this specifically, but when she does get the enchantment placed on her by Wencha to look like her mom, we see this transition in her character toward, full, for the rest of the book, not just while she's enchanted, of, like, really coming full circle to understand her mother more. Like, it literally stepping into her shoes and walking a mile in them. Um, which I thought was such a good narrative device. Like, I know it was a part in the plot that happened. But I also thought, like, you can see the rest of her understanding her mother more go throughout the book. Because in the moment where she's tied to the laurel tree by Wugong, right? She is both embodying her mother and her father because she's like okay she you know the myths of the sun warrior is that he died fighting this the sunbirds and that was you know the the risk he took and that's what happened even though he didn't die but so we we're seeing like she's ready to be the martyr to save everyone the same way that her dad supposedly was but she's also her mother in the sense that she is her you know, in her mother's disguise at that moment. But also that, you know, her 
tears that are wept onto the tree are what make the laurel seeds come out. So there was such a, I don't know, it was such a beautiful moment to have her, like, both sides of the coin be shown together. Especially because I, you know, you see why each book is named each thing. Because, yeah, he, she does embody both of her parents. Anyway, so that feather thing coming and burning through her blood uh, when Wugong strikes her. And she realizes, okay, if I'm tied to this tree, I guess I go down with the tree. You know, it's going to catch on fire and I go down with the tree. Um, And, you know, they say fire is cleansing, especially as a thematic device in books. And I think that that was, you know, it was her being reborn. We didn't know that. We think she's about to die, of course. Um, And so it was also so lovely to watch. (laughs) So lovely to watch. But it was really lovely to watch her dad show up with the jade dragon bow and kill wugong and there's this moment where you're like weird they were all too late anyways and wench is there and he's weak and he's on his knees with her and he's saying he never severed his part of the enchantment like all that time he was sending his life force into her body to save her as she burned and in doing so it was like all of the warnings that everybody heeds throughout the whole book, right, is to not give too much of your life force away and weaken yourself enough that you will die. Um, And it's kind of like what everyone says to everyone else to save when they're trying to save someone. And so there's this moment where you're like, where you and Jingyin are both like, oh my God, he, you know, used his whole life force, weakened himself to the brink of death for her. And she realizes she loves him one and two she's like all this time i've spent you know denying that he was being truthful he was being truthful he truly would do anything for me including die um and so you think she's going to die as well and by the fact that everyone thinks she's going to die her mother's crying and her mother cries on the laurel tree which is what ends up saving her in one last bout and she doesn't know at the time that uh wench's like essence i was i was a little confused by this but wench's essence or whatever is also technically preserved by the laurel tree and she doesn't know that but eventually leeway does um and we see wench die and we see jingin live and there's part of you that's like is this how her decision is made then like between the boys like by default she's going to be with leeway which i think would have been unfair um, so I was so proud of her when she tells Leeway that she can't, she's not meant to be the new celestial empress who also died during the battle and the war. Um, she's not, she's not made, she's not cut out for this life. This wasn't what she wants. That, and she, he can't leave his position as the now celestial emperor to, you know, go fuck around the world with her as he used to promise when he was a kid. He's got duties. Um, which is heartbreaking, but it's also like we all saw that coming. And so for them to actually have to live it and for it to not be unrealistic in that sense where like, oh, what if he abdicates the throne? Things like this, like that would normally happen. That was not in the cards for them. They fought so hard for this peace and they realized that though they love each other, it's, you know, they want different things, which is so real for the, of them to come to that realization um, and to act on it. And then to learn that 
Xinyan goes to the cloud wall, like near the demon realm, every day. And it's there that she can smell and feel Wench's presence. Like, that's so painful because it's a callback to her mom. Uh, you know, how her mom, once she was freed from having to stay imprisoned on the moon and learned of her husband's death, quote-unquote, she would go to his grave every day in the mortal realm and come back up later. So it was such a full circle moment, whereas I was saying before about, you know, when she when Jingyin takes on the form of her mother, it's then where she starts to really interpret her mother's, you know, personality and, like, things that her mother went through as her own story. Um which I thought was really beautiful and it was really heartbreaking and I cried of course because I cry at everything marginally sad in a book that makes me feel things um and so when we learn that his essence is like gone which was kind of confusing to me but I digress um Jingyan can no longer feel when she's like energy there anymore and so she returns to the uh, emperor who is now leeway and she you know is like what the fuck happened essentially and he they reveal that like sometimes the celestial emperor can decide to send somebody back to the mortal realm to start a secondary life with no memories of his immortal life um and so th it's like a true second chance which i was bawling because how sweet of leeway despite everything to despite you know not winning the girl in that sense knows that if he if wencha is what's going to make her happy then he will do anything to make her happy still even if it's not with him which ah uh, pain straight to my heart um you gotta love leeway he's so lovable just for me he wasn't who my heart ached for uh, and so we get to see at the end Jingyin go down to the mortal realm and meet Wenxia as a mortal and he doesn't know who she is but he can feel that he has met her before which I love that trope I know perhaps it's not for everyone but I love the like my soul would know your soul in any form in any world under any circumstances um without a doubt and i just fucking i'm num 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 eat that shit up dude oh my god i was living for it and i was also so also in awe of jingyin again for when you know she has the opportunity to ask leeway for anything he says and she's like okay well i want the elixir and then she thinks for a minute and she's like i want to and i you know give the first one to your sister because she needs it for her husband and I just thought that was so honorable, which I think was, you know, a testament to Xinyin's character throughout the entirety of both books. Um, she fights honorably. She acts honorably. She prefers not to lie when she can. You know, she's got a good conscience on her shoulders. And I think that it really shone through, especially at the end. It was like that full circle moment for us. And I was... I was both relieved and sad about it because obviously you want her to give it to Wensha now. Um, so I kind of like that we got that really open-ended ending where they're like, oh, we're going to meet for drinks. And you don't know what happens. You don't know if he ever gets the elixir. You don't know, you know, you don't know anything. So I, I really liked the let's leave everything up to chance. Like we are closing the door here. 
this was just such a beautiful duology. So wonderful. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I think I wrote in my notes perhaps a song. Let's go check. Oh, obviously. I'm a fucking idiot. Obviously, I always pick a Taylor Swift song when there's a song that reminds me of the books. And I know if you've listened this far and you've read the books, you know what I'm going to say. But The Archer by Taylor Swift. And not even for the fact, obviously, that, <laughs> that Xingyun was an archer herself. But for the fact that, you know, everything that that song embodies also embodies Xingyun's story, I feel. Um, I feel like there were so many good lines uh, in both books. But I think in the second book, the second book was just so good. I... And I know, obviously, it's because I just finished it, so I'm feeling like this. Um, but I loved, you know, let's see, before I start trying to paraphrase things. Um, I no longer counted the times I returned to the cloud wall border. It had become a ritual without which I felt lost. This place I had once despised was now the only balm to my grief, though not without pain of its own, to sense a wisp of wench's spirit forever beyond my reach. Perhaps I was being cruel to myself. It would be a kindness to forget, but I would not let his memory fade. And I was just like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm there with you, girly. I'm there with you. This was just a masterpiece. I loved them both. I... I think that, uh, you know, I know it's so controversial to say that something deserves a um, an adaptation on the screen, but I could see this being adapted and being, like, if it was done well, <clears throat> I could see this being a really good adaptation on screen because I would have loved to see just the way... It was such an aesthetically described book. So I, I would have I would like to see that on the screen, and perhaps that's an unpopular opinion. But if it was done correctly, I'm in. Um, I think I'm going to rate. Obviously, I've been raving about this the whole time. So this is solid five for me. I was in the mood for something like this. It is so beautiful. The covers are just fucking stunning, um, which pick them up from their covers and then to also have it be stunning on the inside is a relief, but a rare one at that. Um so, yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say about this. I think that's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. Before we part, we'd just like to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on, if applicable. If you have any further questions regarding topics discussed throughout the episode, feel free to join our Hardcover Host Discord server via the link in the show notes or send us an email, hardcoverhostpod at gmail.com. Feel free to recommend books to cover in future episodes as well. As always, I am Sam Cabrera-Dixon, and this has been an episode of Hardcover Hose. If you enjoyed this listening experience and you'd like to follow along with us next time, the next book on our to-be-read list is Yolk by Mary H.K. Choi. Until we meet again, enjoy your reading.